Amen. So I mentioned that Erin was a classmate of mine, and she was my tutor in Greek. I didn't mention that Stephen and Caitlin were both classmates of my wife and I when we went to college at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Caitlin has been a help for me while I've been at Western too, and um, at college is when I met Stephen. And uh, a story I have about Stephen is one of my best friends in college was an international student from Jamaica. And from Jamaica and coming to Iowa, my friend Darif had quite a transition to make with the climate. And Darif lived in what was called the Mission House. The Mission House had a type of special emphasis on global mission. And Darif had definitely brought and enriched our lives and understanding of global Christianity. What, in the, in the wintertime, it got cold for Darif. And one winter, one winter day, Darif had had enough of the cold. And he found the thermostat, which I hear is not uncommon at Western as well amongst international students, and they turned it up to 99 degrees. And everyone in the mission house felt 99 degrees and was very hot. Stephen was Darif's RA, and he was very hot as well and heard complaints that it's very unusually hot in here. So he went to the thermostat and turned it back down to normal. That, will just, that was a fluke. We'll go on. Well, my friend, Darif, being from Jamaica, had reached his wit's end with the Iowa winter and went back after Stephen had readjusted the thermometer and turned it back to 99 degrees. So everyone was back in the heat. Well, after this, Stephen had to fix it again and then talk with my friend and explain to him that I know that you're having a hard time and just connect with them. Um, while if we keep doing this with the thermometer, it's going to break. And we will all be very, very cold for a long time. And that was enough to convince my friend to leave the thermometer alone. Um, so again, it's my privilege to be with you. Um, I share that because it's a connection between myself and your congregation. But it's also, uh, it gives a little bit of a clue into the social climate in the church of where our scripture comes from this morning, in which Paul was writing to. The, um, our scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 in Corinth. And in this church, there was a lot of different cultures uh, and a diversity of thinking, lifestyles, and um, they, they were together in a church. And this is the letter to which Paul wrote, to which he was, guide, he was to guide them in unity and Christian love. And our scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And as um, Aaron and I and our, our preaching professor, um, Dr. Tim Brown, shared with us to, to memorize the scripture and share it with you, and that's what I'll do with, with you this morning. So 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 9 says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom in my testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except 
for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak God's wisdom. A message that has been hidden, but has been destined for our glory since the beginning of time. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned, the social climate in Corinth where Paul wrote this letter was diverse. There were diverse people. It was a port city, which, and there was lots of, it was with access to the sea, and there was lots of trade, and lots of different people would come and go, and some would just plant and stay. And with that, like my friend who lived in the mission house, there were different ideas that were living together in one place. And kind of like my friend who, after the, the climate in northwest Iowa, he had endured it long enough, what had, was in him came to the surface, and that came into conflict with everyone else in the mission house where he lived. Well, after the Apostle Paul had set sail from Corinth on his other missionary journeys, he got word from Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, Chloe, the ones who he had left the church and trusted it to, he got word from them that there were sharp divisions arising due to the different natures, experiences, and personalities in the people that lived in Corinth, due to their diversity. And Paul wrote a letter back. And as I interpret what his guiding force to them to find an ethical, ethical guidance and Christian unity was for them to know two things. Within their, division, their, their diversity, he wanted them to know Christ and Christ crucified. This was the mystery of God. Well, how the Apostle Paul was a missionary, how would he start a church in such a unique area with people from all different places and different thinking and guide them into the understanding of Jesus Christ as God's Son and their Lord and Savior? One way that an idea or a hypothesis, so that Stephen might say, um, might, might think, is, is when the Apostle Paul would go, that, that I have, that how this could have happened, is the Apostle Paul could have gone to worship at a local Jewish synagogue, and because the death 
and re- the life, death, and, of, and resurrection of Jesus was not too far removed, part of the Apostle Paul's um, missionary journey was to expand people's understanding of faith to include Jesus as God's Son. So Paul, being in worship in a Jewish synagogue, I anticipate him praying prayers next to someone, we'll call him George, and they confess their sin, are assured of pardon, they hear a word from the Lord, the Scripture, they are renewed within their spirit, and the work, the word um, of, the, of, the, of the word of God works in their heart. And then afterwards, Paul strikes up a conversation with George. And Paul's, his connection, his presence with George invites him to share a little bit more. And George says, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I connected with the, with the service today, and I've been kind of struggling since my wife passed away. I really miss when we would make meals for our children, when we would spend our Sabbath rest by the sea, and just journeying through life with a companion. Now, she's passed away, and it really feels like my hope has as well. Again, I, the way I anticipate and see Paul sharing Christ is meeting people in their felt needs. And in this experience with George, I see him connecting, me, connecting with George's emotions and saying, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, George. That sounds like you're experiencing a lot, of, a lot of loss and some despair. Thanks for sharing that with me. And then I, I kind of see George saying, you know, th- I appreciate you saying that, and I really feel comforted. And I anticipate Paul's response being, yeah, thank you. You know, something, I've experienced loss too, and even death, and something that's brought me comfort is the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. That has changed my life. And I see George responding, you know, I've heard some things about this Jesus. I've heard some good things. I've heard some strange things. And some things I'm not quite sure about. Do you mind telling me about him? I see this as the Apostle Paul's way of starting the church. Connecting with people's needs. And in connecting with them, they come to know the truth of the gospel. And when Paul left, he got word that people like George had sprouted up. Kind of like my friend Jarif, who was from Jamaica, or other friends that we had when we were at Northwestern that were from different places. We all believed in the gospel. We had some different ways of thinking. Well, in Corinth, it was the same thing going on, and Paul got word that all these people, like George, that he had started the church with, they believed, but they had rife divisions and they were in significant conflict with one another so part of the scripture that i recited for you this morning was part of his message to them to bring unity and ethical guidance what did paul want them to know what did paul want this his 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 baby what did he want them to know well first he wanted them to know christ 
in a climate with much diversity and division, which none of us, it's not, um, none of us are unable to identify with that, how can knowing Christ bring some sort of unity in that? What does it mean to know Christ? I think that knowing Christ has to do with secure attachment. Secure attachment is the type of understanding or attachment that recognizes that God is glad to be with you. God will not leave you nor forsake you nor let you go. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of darkness and death or the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, Psalm 23 shares much about secure attachment to Christ. God is with us. God is our shepherd, meets our needs, restores us from our pain also leads us through places that are difficult. The valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 seems to suggest that God took us there. But why? When we come out on the other end, He anoints our head with oil. Oil in the Old Testament is also known for healing and for joy. He anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. Friends, Knowing Jesus is akin to secure attachment through the journey of life that I, Aaron, Stephen, Caitlin, and each one of you walk. So if Paul wanted the church in Corinth, the diverse church with much division, to know Christ, which is like secure attachment, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 also says, Paul wanted the church to know Christ crucified. The Greek word for crucified that is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is estau remenon. Estau remenon is a past participle. And after I spent lots of time studying with help of Aaron, my professor, and looking at that book, I learned that a past participle means it was a past action, an event that happened in the past. We can all identify with this. We have events that happened in the past that have implications on the present. And the word that the Apostle Paul chose to use for Christ crucified is a past participle, a past action that has present implications. I 
think Paul wanted his church to know that the past action of Christ crucified has present implications because within their division, they likely were experiencing some degree of Christ crucified. But how can we understand Christ crucified within secure attachment? How can we even understand Christ crucified in our lives? How, is that, how does that help us? I think a way to understand Christ crucified and its fruit or benefit in our lives is in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you and I, we all have different experiences of our life, the life that reflect Christ crucified. We can't always make sense of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 9, what I shared with you is the NIV, but in the Greek, they use the phrase musterion to theu, which is the mystery of God. And to me, there's no more pronounced place of the musterion to theu, or mystery of God, than Jesus Christ on the cross. And in the ways that you, Brittany, Aaron, myself, experience Christ crucified, I believe it's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the peacemakers, the merciful, so on and so forth. When we experience Christ crucified, these characteristics are being mined and dwelled within us. And then the fruits of the Beatitudes, the fruits of the kingdom of God flow through our lives. The Apostle Paul got word from his church in Corinth that he started from friendships he made with people like George, people he met in their pain, people like Stephen met my good friend Jarif, who quite honestly, he was suffering. This was his third year living in northwest Iowa, coming from Jamaica. Um, my friend had come to the end of his endurance, and Stephen needed to give him a little bit of guidance just to help him make it in that place, in the mission house, and to help everyone else. Stephen met my friend Arif just like the Apostle Paul met George. This was how... I see the Apostle Paul started his church. And when the Apostle Paul got word that there was division amongst his children, his child that he had started, because of their diversity, he wanted them to know Christ 
and to know Christ crucified. Friends, I don't know how you experience Christ crucified in your life, but I think that it can happen in different moments, in different seasons, experiences, or relationships. Aaron and I were classmates, and we know the um, we're very we're, we're very familiar with the stresses and struggles of seminary life. Well, this was towards the end of my final semester as a full-time student. I was really feeling the stress. And to be honest, I was feeling some of Christ crucified in my life. And I just wasn't feeling the best. So one of the things that my wife knows that I do when I need a pick-me-up is I go out to Holland State Park, especially in the evening when there's a sunset. Um, That's always precious for me. And this night, I was, I was just kind of wrestling through and even praying through, wrestling through, God, what does it mean to experience Christ crucified? Why do we have to do this? Even Jesus, before he went in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Father, take this cup from me, but if it's not my will, may your will be done. That's a moment I was having in my own life. I went out to Holland State Park. And the thing about going to Holland State Park for the sunset is you never guaranteed what it's going to look like, or what the sunset is going to be. But I went there, and this night the clouds were a little bit higher in the sky. When I got there, the sun was just peeking above it. It was fire red and oranges. I thought, oh, this is, this is interesting. And for a moment, the fire red and orange sun dipped right behind the clouds. And for a while... Everyone there was just kind of moseying along, not really paying attention. We're not really sure what's going to happen. This was close to tulip time, so there were um, visitors and out-of-towners there. And no one was really sure what was going to come. And for a while, it didn't really seem like much was going to be that special. But after a little bit of waiting, the sun dipped below the clouds. And the beauty of the reds and oranges flew across the sky and across the sun, or across, across the water in everyone's hearts who was there to see. And for me, that <laughs> gave me a sense of peace. Because that's the place I've always gone when I've needed to pick me up to enter encouragement, and it's helped me. And that night, com- coming to the closing of my time in seminary, um, that was meaningful to me. And I think this is the sunset is reflective of Christ crucified in our own lives. We have times in our life, in the church in general, and let's be honest, in the RCA in particular, that it really seems like the sun has gone behind these clouds and we can't see God at work. And friends, I see this as Christ crucified. And the Beatitudes are being built, mined, instilled in us in these times. But our faith teaches us to stick around. And when we stick around, underneath of those clouds, 
comes. Jesus and Christ crucified on display. What Paul wanted his church to know was Christ and Christ crucified. And underneath the, and after that season, where it seems that God has disappeared, God shows God's self to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, it explains this in another way that I think can be helpful. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, but not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Perplexed, but not in despair. We who are alive carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. So, the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So while death is at work in us, Life is at work in you. Friends at North Holland, in our diverse and even difficult days, may you remember Christ and Christ crucified. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You join me for a prayer. Uh, Jesus, Lord of creation, you are Lord of all. You are on your throne, and you are the sovereign ruler of creation. You are creator, and we are the creation. We are your masterpiece. May we trust you as you work in us, guard in us, Guide us, craft us, form us, build us into the people that you are making us to be. May we trust you in that. In your name, amen.